behind the whistle. I finished up playing and I finished up being president and I thought, well, what's next? Instead of focusing on the players, I was actually watching the referees. My biggest desire to, uh, to become a referee was to give back to the game that gave me so much. The brotherhood of rugby is what helped me so much because I felt immediately like I was a member of the family. Welcome to episode number six of Behind the Whistle, a weekly podcast series where we talk to sports officials about their personal officiating journey. We'll provide insights into why these officials do what they do, and it will be a great way of understanding how they balance their passion for officiating with their personal and professional lives. Our guest for this episode is Adam Lyle. As a rugby union referee, Adam was a late starter in regards to his officiating career, taking it up as he was approaching the end of his playing career. Even though he took up officiating quite late, he's been able to accomplish some pretty remarkable achievements during his career, with his passion now involving passing on his knowledge and experience to others. I started off by asking Adam how he got into officiating. Oh, look, I, I probably played too long <laughs> um, and didn't give up the boots uh, and didn't want to give up the boots very easily. And uh, I was the president of a local rugby club down in Engadine. And uh, and I finished up playing and I finished up being president and I thought, well, what's next? I didn't want to lose touch with the game and I had already got a qualification as a coach, but I just couldn't see myself standing on the sideline yelling at people. Um, I, I wanted to be more active and I'd already done a couple of muck around sort of officials uh, roles and, um, and I thought, no, hang on for a minute, let's take this a little bit. Uh, more seriously and uh, I did the course and and I've never looked back it's just been fantastic so I guess uh, as part you know you've done did the course do you have any mentors or anyone that sort of I guess helped you through it how do you had you then develop in your in your career and obviously where are you at currently with your with your career at officiating oh look I've had some amazing um, contributions to my early days um I used to uh, go toe-to-toe um, and have some spirited discussions with Ron Mansell, who said that, uh, uh, quite frankly, Adam, no prop will, ex-prop will ever um, be any good at being a match official in the centre. Um, and I had this underlying desire to prove him wrong. Um, uh, Alex, uh, <laughs> Alex Richards in New South Wales has been an amazing mentor um, and, and coach over the years. Um, I've had some wonderful exposures to some very, very good quality uh, world rugby and super rugby referees being on the sevens panels. Um, that's been a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, everyone in the referee community, we're like a little club and we do support each other and back each other up. It's been fantastic. And that's one thing I find within the officiating community it is the, the group of people that you officiate with, there's, a, uh, I guess, a, an inbuilt competition to get better and to improve yourself, you know, obviously to move up in your career. But the support network for the people that you're fighting against is probably something that you won't experience, you know, anywhere else. Everyone's always supporting each other to actually improve themselves, uh, not just trying to cut people down so you can get to the top. Yeah, that's right. And there's a... Uh, and 
elder gentleman um, by the name of Jim Skidanis down in uh, Illawarra who really took me under his his wing in those early days and helped me transition because, you know, being in the front row, you sort of, you have these running lines and you sort of know where you've got to go and what you've got to do and how you're going to do it. And when you're refereeing, you've literally got to change the way you think about the game and the way that you view the game and, of course, how you're going to get there. And those running lines, particularly in the in the top-level uh, games, are, are so, so important. And you can find yourself way out of position uh, to make really clear, good decisions uh, when needed if you think like a, a former player. And even guys who have transitioned into refereeing uh, who um, used to be in the open uh, areas of the game, i.e. in the back lines, those guys with the pretty hairstyles and, and, the, and the gel in their hair, um, they have difficulties transitioning to refereeing as well because they're so used to having a certain style of play. And how did you adjust to that? I guess, how did you learn those skills? Was it just by doing more games, watching film, talking to people? How did you, I guess, pick up those, those skills in that area? A combination of all of that. Um, so watching, um, and it's funny, you know, you know, you go and watch Super Rugby matches, or you go and watch um, Shoot Shield matches, or you go and watch first grade matches, or even Test matches on the on the field. And instead of focusing on the players, I was actually watching the referees, and where are they at? Where are they at in the game? How are they keeping in line with the ball? Where are they running from and to? Um, and then combining that with a lot of good mentoring and some really good referee coaching um, uh, helped me adjust. And I was able to pick it up reasonably well. And before, I think it was a couple of years uh, on the park and just doing game in, game out, week in, week out. And I would volunteer for everything. So if there was an extra game I could pick up, I would do it. If there was a midweek game, I would do it. If there was a night game, if there was a Sunday game for juniors, I'd do it just to practice, just to get my running lines right and where I needed to be. Obviously, it sounds like you're pretty busy with your officiating and you know, like all of us, we'd love to be able to keep doing it. What sort of, um, I guess, what sort of full-time job do you have? Oh, look, um, over the years, I've been lucky enough to be in senior roles within um, the business uh, and insolvency community, and and uh, I now have my own business. So it's I, I get the freedom of that choice um, to be able to uh, spend the time that I need to spend for something that I love doing. I guess being in the insolvency world, there'd probably be a lot of uh, business pressure on, uh, obviously, various sides of the it's situation, you know, how how do you how would skills that you develop there um, transfer to the uh, football field? Well, in I I sort of look at the way that I've used my experience and my life within the defence community. So making good, clear, quick decisions based on the information you've got at hand, and insolvency requires the same thing. But it also, you know, that. The insolvency really, the insolvency world really requires you to have empathy. Now, even in refereeing, now I'm a now a world rugby um, uh, recognised educator, um, and uh, so I can teach uh, refereeing courses and so forth. And we teach about we teach people about having empathy for the game and empathy for the players. What are they trying to achieve? What 
if a guy's entering the contact area and he's not quite judged it correctly, is it automatically um, a, a yellow card or a red card? What are you? What is the player trying to achieve? And what are the mitigating circumstances? So for me, I remember when I um, got to the point where I was uh, able to be in the selection group for um, a grand final. And I was, I'm a competitive bugger, you know. Um, I might not be uh, the youngest or the quickest um, or the slimmest, but I'll still give it a good crack. And I remember when I was in that mix for selection for a grand final in Sydney. And the reason why I was in the mix is because I had that calmness and I never let anything get to me. I never never let anything phase me or get under my skin. Um, and I was able to control some really tight games. There were some semifinals there that were five all with five minutes to go. And um, I just would not let anything phase me. I just focus and concentrate and make sure that I was making the best decision at the best time. And so that the, the team that deserved to win did win. And it wasn't because of my decision. It was because of their playing. And that's really, really important quality to have. And you're dealing, I guess, you know, as you talked about, five in, you know, a tied game, five minutes to go, semi-final. There's a lot of emotions running around um, between players, coaches and spectators and being able to stay calm and in control um, not only shows um, everyone else that you're, you know, you're in control and you're able to make clear decisions, but also allows the game result to, you know, take its, you know, it's come to its own conclusion instead of a, you know, a missed call or something because you're, you know, uptight or, or not looking at the right area. Yeah, that's right. And look, I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. Um, I don't think and, any of us are, are we? Isn't that why we no. keep doing it? <laughs> and, and referees, um, any referee that says, oh, mate, I, I'm, I'm always right, they're kidding themselves. We're, we're going to make mistakes. Um, but it's how you have empathy for the game and how you deal with those mistakes. And, and I've actually corrected myself on the field. I've actually said to a player, look, I actually got that wrong, um, so I'm going to come back over here and have a scrum. And both captains usually, when that when that happens, they go, Geez, that, that's really cool. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I was going to ask how do they how do they take that? I find players generally are understanding in, when you um, admit uh, an error that you've determined you are an error, as opposed to being excuse me talked into it by um, by another player. Oh, look, every referee will tell you that uh, every number nine on the field or every number ten is going to make sure that they know uh, the laws better than you. Um, <laughs> There's a, a funny guy that I've played against and, and he is a very, very good um, player, Andrew Strode from Barrel, and he's, uh, he's, a, he's a whippet. He's a, he, he will beat most people to the line when they're scoring a try. Um, there's some funny video of him um, actually uh, accelerating past the players so he can get to the try line before they do. <laughs> but when he was playing, he, was, he knew every law every law and he made sure that the referees knew that um he knew every law and they, he questioned everything and um you're going to get those players uh, there are some games where you've got 30 referees on the field but there's only one guy with a whistle and that's the beauty of of, of officiating in rugby is that because we are typically humble and, and and very pragmatic about how we exercise our craft 
we know that we're going to make a mistake at some point, but it's how you deal with that and uh, and reflect on that and then learn from it and try and not to do that again. And what process do you go through to to do that? Do you do post game reviews and or you know, how do you go through? How do you go about that? Well, when I started escalating up the ranks and moving up to you know the higher end, I was my own worst critic. I would look at my game and go, "Wow, what did you do that for?" And I would practice um, my running and my um, uh, how I'm coming out of the end of a of a ruck and how where my visibility was and how I was accelerating through into getting in the, into the best position I possibly could. So you do need to do post-game reviews. You do need to make sure that you're learning from every experience. And remember that in any top-level game, you're making thousands of decisions in any, in any one game. And you've also got to be there. You've got to make sure that you're within close proximity of where the game is. Uh, you can't just, you know, um, chug it on, you know, the main centre line. And you've certainly got to make sure that you're in the best position possible because if you get it wrong, um, you know, people are not going to uh, respect you at the end of the day. You, you spoke about being um, involved as a the Super Rugby educator. What does that involve? So during um, this most recent lockdown, there was a bunch of us that uh, got uh, enrolled and we, we asked to be involved in the World Rugby um, Educator uh, course. So um, it means that we are being now accredited by World Rugby um, as people that can host and hold and accredit and sign off on people um, teaching those courses. So, yeah, it's really cool. Good fun. Um, learned a lot and I thought I knew a fair bit, but it opened my eyes up even more. It was fantastic. I was going to say, you probably have a variety of people coming into those courses as well. Have you had the opportunity to run some of those courses since, um, obviously, gaining accreditation? Well, lockdown has only just uh, um, ended and the Vax no Vax scenario here in New South Wales is about to end. So I'm actually headed up uh, to teach a course of 38 new referees uh, in Barrel um, in the new year, and I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, uh, that's that's a huge number for a call it a smallish area. Um, obviously, Southern Highlands here in New South Wales isn't a major, massive city, but thirty-eight new referees is huge. Yeah, and you know what? And that's that's probably because it's been built up over a whole year, um, and that won't be the only course that we run um, in that area. Uh, we'll do another one probably at Camden. We'll probably do another course down in Wollongong uh, and then another course probably somewhere either Menai or in the Shire somewhere as well. And it's really important because you need that new young blood coming through. Um, in Subbies Rugby and in uh, Illawarra, um, we all admit that there's too many um, old ex-player players uh, you know, group of referees that, you know, need uh, to probably think about hanging up the boots at some point. Um, and uh, we need those young ones who are quicker and faster to start learning the craft now because in five years' time, when those older guys are hanging up the boots, we need to know that those younger ladies and gents um, are uh, doing a great job. And uh, I guess what age would these new referees from, are they, you know, 16s and you know do we start at that young for rugby or is it more of the you know the 
you call it the early 20s year olds that are looking at their weighing up between playing and officiating what sort of age group do we start at so we start uh, refereeing at 13 um, for, and so those ones will be um, what they call refereeing kids rugby yep they'll referee sixes and sevens and eights and all that sort of stuff um, and then 14s is usually uh, when we sort of started taking a little bit more seriously 16 is definitely an age group that we want to start to having a development phase uh, and a progression line ready for them. Um, and uh, and then we want to hold on to them. Now, a lot of people get into rugby because they've either suffered an injury that means that they can't play anymore, um, and and that's not a bad way to enter. Um, Ex-players as well. Um, I know in Illawarra they've got a couple of ex-first graders that are coming into the fold uh, this year, which is really exciting because... Those players who play at the top level have a really good empathy for the game and a really good understanding of, of what's going on. Um, so looking forward to coaching those guys and and getting them uh, on the park as quickly as we possibly can. And then those older fellas um, and ladies who have had a, a decent amount of time on the pitch, um, we want them as well because we want everyone to stay in rugby. I mean, my biggest desire to uh, to become a referee was to give back to the game that you know, gave me so much. You know, the rugby, quite frankly, um, helped me save my life and um, get my head right when I was coming back to uh, coming out of a uh, of a huge breakdown. So for me to be able to give back the game by helping others um, get good game outcomes, yeah, it's, it's really special. I mean, you just touched on there that, you know, you don't obviously have to go into too much detail, but, you know, rugby helped you through a, a period of uh, of struggle in your life. Is there any, do you want to elaborate, just maybe cover off, you know, it depends on how much you want to go into it, but just how rugby itself or, you know, becoming involved in the official has helped through those various areas of your life? Well, I had a, I had a, a, a very serious breakdown in, in 2008 and, uh, and, uh, I hadn't played rugby since I was at school. I'd, I'd always been sailing and doing all these other things. I'd never really used uh, rugby as my go-to sport. And a mate of mine, Darren Vardy, actually said to me, listen, um, I'm going to give you a job, but there's a condition. You've got to bring your training gear because we're going down to the sand dunes at Cronulla uh, and uh, you'll, you'll be at training on Thursday nights. And I said, what do I, the hell do I want to do that for? He says, no, 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 you would either do that or you don't get the job. And, um, and sure enough, I've got the job and turned up <laughs> those, to be... Those training sessions were uh, interesting, to say the least, anyway. Yeah, and uh, I worked my ring off and entered the game at the beginning of 2009, um, re-entered the game, I should say, and and uh, I had a lot of aggression to, to get out of my system. Um, I was pretty angry with the world and he said I'd rather you do this than end up at a pub on Friday night and punch the crap out of somebody and end up in jail and uh, what better way to to in my mind this is my mindset at the time I could quite quite illegally quite legally I should say um, hurt someone and not get charged for it it was fantastic and um, and so at the time I had this mindset of just going out there and hurting people um, and that aggression, when used correctly, 
uh, wasn't a bad thing. Um, I just needed to make sure I didn't do it illegally. I never <laughs> make sure it's turned in the right direction. <laughs> I never, I never got the, I never got a card. I never got penalised. I always did it cleanly. Um, but I, unfortunately, for some people, I broke their bones, and you know, I just had so much aggression pent up, and I was just, you know, ready to uh, annihilate some poor bastard, and um, and uh, and moved up the chain from thirds to seconds and then from seconds and then the following year I made my first grade debut at, at the age of 37, would you believe? Um, oh, that's, that's young, Adam. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was pretty proud of that achievement and I just kept playing and and, uh, and I didn't give up the boots until uh, this is my this will be my seventh year into, the, into 2022 will be my seventh year of officiating. So... Yeah, it's and next year I'm turning fifty, so I want to go out with a bang. I want to have a really big year. So you were you at one point playing and officiating, or playing and starting your officiating career, or did you end up yeah. stop playing and then? No, no, no. I I had one year of transition, so I would play and then I would officiate golden oldies on Sundays um, and juniors, and then I I said no, 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 I've got to give this up because I wanted to make sure that uh, I was doing the right thing by myself. I would never, I never um, played and officiated in the same competition. I always did it somewhere else. Yeah, just to make sure that there's no, you know, I guess, perception of bias, even though, you know, we all tend to officiate and we just see, we officiate what's in front, but we want to, you know, obviously remove any perceived or perception of bias that, that could be there. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, it would have been um, a, a transition to go from being an aggressive prop front rower to then being a, a calm, you know, in control official. How did yes. you, you know, what sort of journey did you go through to develop those skills throughout, you know, through those couple of years? Well, after I got out of hospital, um, I had to go through a journey of, of rediscovery of myself and obviously to get things in perspective and to go through a period of repair. So I had some really good mental health um, professionals around me over a couple of years there. I moved up to Port Macquarie and um, and spent some uh, time up there. And those guys, I love them to bits because they welcomed me with open arms, uh, not knowing me from a bar of soap. And um, I've made some lifelong friends up there uh and uh and got better so for that journey of repair lasted three years um and uh i ended up getting myself off all the medications and fit and healthy and happy and i've never really looked back um there's been some bumps in the road of course over the years everyone has bumps in the road but ultimately given the journey of repair that i've taken i I know now what the signs are if I'm facing an obstacle and how to get over it. And yeah, you know, I guess that would be an immense that would be an immense personal achievement to obviously look back from where you were with that. Do you look back similar with your officiating career? Look where you started, and you know, yeah. look to where to where you are currently, and go. You know, are you happy with where you are currently, or have you got future you know goals and things that you you're working towards with your officiating? Well. I'm still competitive um, and I still want to compete at with my refereeing. Um, I've suffered a 
a pretty bad Achilles tendon injury uh, in February this year. Um, I was very, very close to ripping it off the bone, which would have, would have been probably ended my officiating career, mm -hmm. I'll be honest. Um, I've only got 10 millimetres to go uh, for the repair, so I'm pretty pretty uh, grateful that I've been able to get that um, into a position where I'm continuing to repair that, um, which is great. So it gives me a chance to have a good 2022. But in in light of potential for me to have to hang up the boots because if I strain it again, I, I think in all fairness I'd be silly to continue, I've already got um, referee coaching qualification, world rugby educator. Uh, I'm now the president of one of the um, uh, associations for uh, referees down in Illawarra. And I really want to encourage other referees, ladies, gents, and uh, young ones uh, to take up the whistle uh, and uh, stay involved or be involved with a, a beautiful, wonderful uh, game called rugby. And, you know, we all, one thing that I did find, you know, obviously I played with you back when we played at Engadine, the, community around the club is such a you know one thing that really stuck with me is that it's a family orientated community um you know people are there for for the game and the enjoyment but everything on the sideline is built around you know involving everybody else as well yeah that's right i mean it's funny you know i've played on the hallowed turf of uh of coochie oval um uh, in premiership rugby uh the galloping greens at Randwick there and and here's my son. I think he was all of about eight or nine, um, being ball boy and and whenever there was a breaking play, running out and um, giving me water whenever I needed it. And then later in the year at the grand final at Wynn Stadium for Illawarra, here he is being the official water boy uh, for the first grade referee uh, on Wynn Stadium, and it was just an absolute buzz. And yeah, he plays uh, he plays. Uh, the round ball game uh, football and loves his soccer. Uh, Mansley is a rep player uh, up in Queensland. And, yeah, I, for me, the brotherhood of rugby um, is what helped me so much because I felt immediately like I was a member of the family. And the family was, you know, kids and wives and brothers and sisters and and uh, and the players themselves. It's uh it really does have a, a true sense of inclusion. I mean, they say that rugby is for everybody. You can have, you can be short, tall, fat, skinny, slow, fast, gay, straight. Doesn't matter. They'll they'll accept you, include you, and and want to play with you. It's um it's a really wonderful community to be involved with. And yeah, I, I found too. Obviously. It's been a while since I've played with the rugby club, but there's still people you you follow and you interact with that you maybe haven't seen for a couple of years, but you still you know keep in contact to a, to an extent and keep following their you know their life journeys and stuff because you're interested in what they're doing because you know you got to know them and and be so close to them when you did play with them. Yeah, that's right. And you know when you're in when you're on the field of battle and you're backing each other up, defending each other not to the death, but to, with that mindset. Um, when you've got a mate who's in there, in that tenacity of battle with you, um, the respect you have for each other is profound. 
uh, and uh, it could have been could have been a, a a really devastating loss. Um, but you're there for each other, and you back each other up, even in the in the times of struggle. And then when you have this jubilant win, particularly if it's been a hard-fought battle, and you win by a margin of two points or something like that, that those you'll never ever forget those memories. You know, they are they are completely jubilant, um, completely invigorating. And um, it's like um, when you play golf, and you know how you play golf, and you've got you know 17 holes of you know, bogeys, 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 and you get that last bloody birdie on the last one, it makes you come back again and again and again. And you know, how do you find, do you have similar experiences with your officiating? You know, there are times where you just go, you know what, that was an awesome game or that was, you know, that was really why I do officiating? Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you now I've, I've made some horrendous decisions <laughs> on the field and I've made some cracking decisions as well. And it's the, and I, when I am in a situation where I'm in the best possible position at the best possible time to make those great decisions, it makes you want to, yeah, you know, I've learned so much. This is why I'm doing this. Um, and when you've got the captain of the losing team coming up to you and saying, mate, that's the best refereeing we've had all year, that's, that's, uh, that's a really nice feeling. And, you know, the coach of the losing side, you know, handing you a beer after the game, saying, mate, thanks so much for coming out. It's really, really nice. And, and, you know, to an extent, that's one of the, you know, I guess the differences that I've seen with rugby is the socialising with the officials after the game. You know, whatever happens during the game happens, whether they like the decisions or not, you know, they get vocal. But then after a game, it's, you know, hey, let's have a, let's have a beer, let's have a chat, and let's just, you know, socialise and treated each other like you know like we all are we're people and we're doing you know things that we're passionate and enjoy yeah that's right i think there's an underlying deep-seated value with rugby that i think does set it set itself apart from all the other codes and i'm not bagging the other codes i'm i'm a passionate follower of most codes but i think the the deep-seated expression and practice of respect in rugby is something that you know is by far the biggest point of difference and yeah the respect is massive and you know whether that's come from the way that rugby as a sport has developed from its non-professional days all of the you know, call it the culture from back in the you know when players were you know, high level of rugby were amateur players so obviously they're balancing off um work and sport and those sort of things whereas at the time other sports were fully professional so there's that historical culture that's come up through the you know through the history of rugby yeah that's right and and we teach it to the kids right from the start you know they shake hands and they clap it and they clap each other off whether they've lost or they've won so um obviously you're you've had a quite a journey with your officiating What's your, I guess, your proudest accomplishment as an official, or the biggest game, or something that you, you know, you've you've been able to remember and, and take away? Look, I think there's two games that I I probably would think that stick out for me. Um, one is the first uh, was the first division grand final that I got selected for uh, on uh, on the Eastwood um, ground. Um, 
fantastic achievement for me to get a, a grand final. Never thought in a wildest moment, especially if I was listening to Ron Mansell when I was the first one starting out, you know, ex-prop, you'll never make it. Um, Did you contact him after you got the game and went, um, yeah. I'm still an ex-prop, but I made it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, look, we have a healthy respect for each other. Yeah. Um, he, he's been such a mentor to so many. You can't knock him for that. And we we only spoke on the phone very recently. He was hanging up his boots as a uh, as a – um, a referee development manager for regional uh, referees very recently and what a, what an amazing contribution he's made to, to the world of rugby over the years, even though we had some differences over the years, you know. But you, um, don't, I mean, you don't grow if you don't have differences with people. That's where you, you, know, you, you have your healthy discussions that actually helps people grow. Yeah, that's right. And then the other one was um, probably – uh, a game that I did uh, at Lidcombe Oval um, a couple of years ago where it was um, uh, the Hunter Wildfire Women's uh, versus Parramatta Two Blues Women's. Absolute cracking match, top of the – it was, you know, the top-level game for them. And uh, it was in the year prior to the Super, uh, Super Rugby Women's coming out. And this was just an amazing, amazing opportunity for me. Uh, I got selected for the match. I was buzzing. I was nervous. I was all those things that you'd expect. And uh, I had to deal with some very difficult, very difficult situations on the field. Uh, had to, unfortunately, make a decision to eject one of the coaching staff from the from the area of playing enclosure as well. Because he uh, he got abusive, um, he's abusing one of some of his own players, uh, and the other players and the other officials as well as me, and they, we don't have we don't tolerate that. So, but look, the players were just so grateful um, that I was able to 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 do that game well. Um, really, really special. So those two games. Uh, were really tough, tough games, um, but I really enjoyed it and uh, and gave a hundred and fifty percent effort on those. And really, I felt that I stepped up um, uh, and uh, delivered my best opportunity, my my best game for those two games. But they're probably my highlights, absolutely. And you know, that's what you. I guess that's why we officiate, and that's why we do all the prep work, is so that when we get to those opportunities. We can put our best, you know, our best foot forward, our best, put our best effort in, and really show, you know, what we can do as an official. Yeah, that's right. And you know, a, a wonderful mentor that I had for a few years there, Jamie McGregor, who's a former Australian referee uh, and was in charge of referee education nationally. Went over to the states to do to manage all the referees over there, and then he's now back. And Jamie. He is a guy that is well known within the referee circles. He never misses his words, and he pulled me in to uh, to uh, you know rugby HQ one day and went up one side of me and down the other, and really pulled me into line in terms of how I was dealing with things on the field. And that's a you need to be candid with each other and honest. And for me. If I'm not doing something well, I just want to hear it straight. Just give it to me straight. And then I'll learn from that and I can move forward. And with me now being the president um, down in Illawarra and 
and having that next transition in life of being a hopefully a very good um, rugby coach, rugby referee coach, um, I'm hoping I can give back to them again. So I'm looking forward to the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, giving back to the game through coaching uh, referees to be even better than what they are today um, and helping some of those older guys stay in the game too because with what I've learned over the years is if you don't have those older guys still running around, um, there is a real risk that you might not have games being officiated. And uh, we need to we need to encourage everyone to stay um, connected with the game as much as we can. And the beauty of rugby is they have their you know, golden oldies competition for you know players that are certain once they get to it was it thirty five once they've stopped playing or you know they can play a is it a modified version of rugby similar rules and concepts just some more safety conscious rules. Yeah, so in Sydney, there's quite a robust and very wide, varied competition of golden oldies. Um, so it is over 35s. So there's no um, contact at the breakdown. So once they once they have taken the ball and been tackled, that's it. There's no counter-rucking or anything like that. And there's typically no pushing in the scrums. Some golden oldies tournaments have variations to these rules, but ultimately... That's how it works and keeps everyone nice and safe, um, keeps people staying in rugby. Um, there's a, a wonderful gentleman out at Penrith who has played, he played a 1,000 first-grade games for Penrith and he's played something like 2,000 golden oldies matches. And he's, wow. 80, and he's 85 and he's still running around the park. You know, if I'm still able to run around the park at 85, I mean, that, what a goal to have is to be able to still do that. And he's, he, the smile he has on his dial when he gets off the field every single time, is it, it takes your breath away. And um, yeah, that's, that's why we play the sport, isn't it, we, for that enjoyment? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is why I want to continue to contribute to the game because it gives so much more back every single time. And you know, we were talking earlier about um, you know, obviously you you officiate Golden Oldies as well. You know, a couple of years ago, you know, there was some safety concerns around things, and you've put some suggestions into into rules changes. Do you want to talk us through that? So in Sydney, we had a situation where nearly every tournament, every Golden Oldies tournament day, and there's quite a few of those around. There were unfortunately injuries. Um, that were happening every game and serious injuries where ambulances had to be called. And we had a good think about it um, across each of the leaderships of each of the clubs and I made some suggestions about clamping down on some silly stuff that was going on at the breakdown and in the contact area. And um, thankfully, with everyone buying in on that, um, we've been able to have two years now with no ambulances called. Uh, which is really special because it means that players who are thinking of not coming back because they're worried about getting injured are coming back. People that are have come back are staying back. And those older fellas, you know, we've got people that are, like I just said, 85. There's quite a lot of over 60s that are playing. Like these people are retired or semi-retired. And there's all that group as well from 35 to 60 who are effectively 
breadwinners for their families and sometimes breadwinners for their broader family as well. And they can't afford to be injured. They can't afford to have time off work. So for them to be able to run on the park, stay in touch with the game in an active way because we've been able to tweak some laws to make it safer for everybody, I think that's a win for the game overall. And, you know, it's great to you know, be able to have, um, I guess, in those discussions with the, the senior leaders of those clubs, as an official come in and go, hey, you know, here's some benefits to tweaking the rules for safety reasons and getting the buy-in from those those clubs. Um, I guess having the officiating perspective would help with those discussions. Yeah, it, come, it came down to ultimately um, the, the laws that we wanted to tweak were not very difficult to tweak. It was just getting everyone to buy into that's what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And um, and then having the strength and the empowerment to the referees to say, hey, if you stand up to that kind of behaviour on the field, you're going to get back up from everybody because everyone's buying into it. We tend as a society to watch what's on TV and try to replicate that in what we do in life, whether it be in any code of sport or in what we see on the news or what we see uh, in society overall. We tend to look at others and try to emulate what they do. And rugby is no different. You know, people watch what they do on the TV and they think, oh, well, I can do that. Um, and uh, I have, I'm really challenged by that. I'm, I'm challenged by another code who, unfortunately, until recently, really didn't have much regard for high tackles. And, and that was translating to the way people were behaving in kids' rugby on the field. They would see their heroes doing high tackle after high tackle after high tackle, grapple, whatever they were doing all the time, and they were doing it on the park themselves because that's what they thought was acceptable. And I think we have a responsibility to our the future of the game and the future kids that are going to be coming through the ranks to make sure they understand what's not acceptable and what is. And, you know, it does take a little while as, a, as an official to um, change those habits and perceptions, but when you've got support from, you know, your official organisation and from other clubs, it's certainly a little, you know, a lot easier when you're enforcing rules on the field to have the backing of those those people behind you. We go, yep, that's the direction we want to go. They're the plays we want to cut out of our game. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. I, you know, I appreciate having a chat to you. You know, just, I guess, one final question. If there's, you know, one piece of advice you could give to somebody who's contemplating becoming an official or has just started out in their journey, you know, what would it be? Don't be afraid of picking up the whistle. We'll help you. We'll encourage you. We'll support you. We have a great bunch of referee coaches all across the country. Um, and you get connections and insights from some of the most amazing, uh, beautiful people in the world uh, that referee. You know, I can now... I can now message and call Nigel Owens basically, quite frankly, whenever I want, and he'll respond. Um, you know, amazing guy. Um, Amy Perrett, Australia's first female super rugby referee. She's an amazing lady and, you know, a wonderful leader for women um, in, in terms of the rugby, uh, the, the women's version of the game as well. So 
some beautiful people that I've met along the way and through their encouragement, and we will do the same for anyone that's wanting to pick up the whistle. And, uh, you know, for those guys who are a little bit on the heavier side or, um, you know, our former props, uh, I'll show you how it's done. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you've, you've clearly shown that, you know, ex-props can have an officiating career and, you know, it can be a, you know, a quite fulfilling career. Yeah, and look, I'm, I was never going to be Shoot Shield. Uh, you've got to understand where you're at, but getting a Division One Grand Final and a and a and a you know very very senior women's rugby um, match just just after uh, uh, a, te- a televised match was done, fantastic. So yeah, it's good fun. Excellent. Um- no, thanks for coming on, Adam. I really appreciate it. And, you know, maybe you'll get me down to one of those uh, Golden Oldies games soon enough. Look, look forward to seeing you, mate. I'll make sure I've got the cards in my pocket ready for you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I might uh, referee you know, sitting around and watch you play. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Greg. Adam's journey, not just within officiating, but his entire life, is certainly an inspiring and encouraging one. To improve all aspects of his life, leaning on his support network just shows what we are capable of if we just have the mindset of taking things one step at a time and look for ways to improve our lives each day. It's so inspiring to see people find their passion in life and then pursue it and excel at it, especially to the extent that Adam was able to, so that he's now trusted with instructing the next generation of referees. If you're interested in starting your own journey, who knows where it may lead you? Check out the director on our website at sportscollaboration.com where you'll be able to find contact details for the officiating associations near you. If you're an official who's looking for some additional support through your journey, drop us an email via the feedback section on website and we'll be more than happy to reach out and see how we might be able to help. I'll leave you with this final point of encouragement from Adam. We all admit that there's too many um, old ex-player you know, group of referees that you know need uh, to probably think about hanging up the boots at some point, um, and uh, we need those young ones who are quicker and faster to start learning the craft now. Because in five years' time, when those older guys are hanging up the boots, we need to know that those younger ladies and gents um, are uh, doing a great job. Yeah.